Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. The Industrial Revolution of the second half of the 18th century uh, transformed uh, society. Uh, many farmers became, started to move into the cities as, as uh, steam power started to, to, uh, to, to make factories grow and rise. Uh, uh, goods that were made by individuals who crafted them painstakingly were now being mass produced in factories. Uh, the Industrial Revolution moved into the United States in the 1830s and 40s. And while many great advances were made during that time, uh, it was also a platform for corporate greed, for horrendous human exploitation, as the rich got rich off of the abuse of the poor. One website put it this way. It said, simply, the working conditions were terrible during the Industrial Revolution. Of factories, as factories were being built, businesses were in need of workers. With a long line of people willing to work, employers could set wages as low as they wanted because people were willing to do work as long as they got paid. People worked 14 to 16 hours a day. That's 96 hours a week. The majority were unskilled workers who received about 8 to $10 a week. Women received less than that for doing the same job, and children even less than that. Children were putting in 14-hour workdays, and they only had a break for lunch and for dinner, which means they were working after dinner as well. Owners were so concerned about making a profit that they were completely satisfied with the labor conditions because it brought low labor costs. Factories were not the best places to work. Uh, the only light in the factory would be coming in through a small window. Uh, machines would be sitting out, would be spitting out smoke, and in some factories, uh, work came out covered. Workers came out covered in black soot at the end of the day. Uh, there were many machines that caused lots of accidents because there were not many safety guidelines at the time. And then this astonishes me. It says many children had physical deformities because of the lack of exercise and sunlight. Finally, uh, this article says, as businesses began to boom, most people lived in slums. Five to nine people lived in a single room, which was as big as an apartment, because everybody lived in the terrible conditions and so close to one another, disease spread rapidly and lack of medicine and medical care resulted in many deaths. As I first read that description of what life was like for most people during this revolution, uh, it made me sad. It made me angry. Matter of fact, I looked at this picture and I saw one kid's face and I thought it was my son for a second. And so I was just, 
overwhelmed with anger at how the greed of business owners had caused such suffering on the people. And yet that is uh, nothing that has disappeared. Even though there are many laws today to help protect workers, corporate greed still abounds. There is a local company in Green Bay, which will remain nameless, uh, that employs hundreds of people and within the area, and it grew financially by 10% in one year, which is a great uh, financial growth, to grow 10% financially in a year. And yet, right after that year, they decreased the sales commissions of their workers by 30%, meaning many of the men and women that were there could no longer feed their families. I have talked to many of you who have worked for small companies that have been bought out by big companies. And often what I hear from you is that you have gone from being a person to being a number. You are employee number 58732 now. And the company no longer seems to care about you. They only care about the profit. And people become expendable. Corporate greed is repulsive to God. And the question is this, will the rich and powerful who are driven by greed, make, who make life so miserable for others, ever be held accountable? Will God do anything about it? Does God hear the cry of his people who are being oppressed? And today in the book of James, the overwhelming answer is yes. If you would please turn to James chapter five, it is page 10, 12 in the Red Bible. Uh, today's message is probably the most un-Mother's Day message preached in Green Bay. Um, so if you're visiting, I'm sorry, uh, but you can't sneak out now. Sorry, you're here, you're stuck. Um, but the reason why we're preaching through James chapter five is just because we're going through the book of James and that's the next section that is in our series. Now, something very interesting about today's passage that is important to understand is that throughout the book of James, James is, is writing uh, about the people that he is writing to, right? And so when he's talking about the power of the tongue, uh, he's writing ab about the power of tongue to people who are using their tongues in different ways, right? But what's unique about this passage right here that we're gonna cover today is that James is writing about someone different than who he is writing to. Uh, James is writing to the church, uh, he is writing specifically, if you remember back in James chapter one, he's writing to Jewish Christians uh, who had to leave Jerusalem because of persecution and now are sojourners and foreigners in other lands. Uh, uh, they are impoverished people. They are people who uh, are victims of prejudice uh, and they have been marginalized in society and exploited to work for really greedy business owners and landowners. And so James is writing to the church, to those who have been exploited, those who have been marginalized, those who have been hurt, but he is writing about the business owners, okay? And that's important to understand as we read this passage. And again, the question is, 
does God do anything about this? And what we will see in this passage uh, is that James goes like full Old Testament on these rich business owners. Uh, he, he proclaims a, a prophetic condemnation upon them. Again, probably the most unmother's Day passage in the whole book of James. But we're glad that you're here. So James chapter 5, uh, we will be reading verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to this passage, we are so thankful that you see the brokenness of this world. Lord, that you hear the cry of those who are exploited, of those who have been marginalized, of those who are treated unfairly. And that God that you will do something about it, that justice will reign. And so God, teach our hearts through this passage, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, the question is, are those who are vulnerable and exploited in this world, does God hear their cry? Does God do anything about it? And again, the overwhelming answer from this passage is yes. First, we see the sentence of the greedy. By sentence, I don't mean like a, a list of words, but, but sentence as in um, a jail sentence, okay? Verse one says, come now, you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. At first glance, if you just read verse one, it looks like God is condemning all of the rich. Um, but if that is the case, all of us are in a whole lot of trouble uh, because compared to the world, we are all most likely in the top 10%. And so we are among the rich. But as you look throughout scripture, uh, what you find is that God does not condemn the rich. He does not condemn riches. He does not condemn money. Father Abraham was extremely wealthy, and yet he was God's chosen person to bless the nations. Uh, Joseph was very wealthy as second in all of Egypt. King David, a man after God's own heart, was extremely wealthy. Solomon was wealthy, and Boaz was wealthy. If you turn to the New Testament, Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, was a very wealthy person, as well as Lydia, the seller of purple. And so in the Bible, money and riches are not evil. Money and riches are neutral. But with that said, people who have a lot of money, including most of us, 
have power over other people. And it does reveal what is inside a person's heart. And so money is not evil. What is evil, if you read through the scripture, is the love of money. What's evil is if we love money more than we love God. If we love money more than we love people. We call that greed. That is what James is condemning in this passage. James continues in verse 2 through 3. He says, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Now, what he's saying here is that you have so much uh, so much wealth, so much accumulation that it is, it is stored up in such a way that it can rot, that it can melt away because you have so much of it in abundance. He is condemning those who hoard riches to themselves. Verse three says, your gold and silver have corroded. Now, if you know this, gold and silver do not corrode, but if they are stored in a damp location for a very long time, they can show signs of rust on the outside of them. He continues and says, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. We'll get back to that. He says, you have laid up treasures in the last days. The last days being the day from Christ, first coming in Christ, between that and Christ's second coming. And so James is condemning those who are just accumulating wealth because they are greedy. Those who store up their wealth at the detriment of others. This is not condemning people who have nice cars or nice boats or nice houses or people who save up for retirement. Jesus is condemning those who earn their riches out of greed at the expense of others. This will be more apparent later, but what this passage is condemning are those whose finances end with themselves who earn all this money just to spend it on themselves, just to save it for themselves, just to build security for themselves instead of receiving their money to be a blessing to others. You know, it's amazing how James's language mirrors Jesus's language in the Sermon on the Mount. If you want, uh, there's a couple of passages that I might have you flip to today. If you want to flip to, to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it's page 811 in the Red Bible. And you'll hear some of the similar language from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as in James. And so this isn't James's idea. This is, this is Jesus's idea. Matthew 6, verse 19 through 21. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, that is invest in eternal things, whether, 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 where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We call this the treasure principle, that wherever you put your money, that's where your heart is. And so if all of your money is accumulated to spend on your own pleasure, on your own, on your own comfort, on your own security, if that's how you live life, then what it tells us is that your treasure is not God, your treasure is you. And that's what James is condemning in this passage. And so, again, let's return to the question, will God punish the greedy? Those who, those who exploit the vulnerable for their own riches. Look back at verse 1 with me again. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. What is this sentence of misery that James is talking about? 
Why does it call for the greedy rich to howl? What misery could James be talking about except for hell? Verse three, he continues, says, your gold and silver have corroded because they have so much of it and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) James is saying they have compiled so many riches, just a stockpile of riches that, that it will display the condemnation against them that they have exploited the poor, that they have exploited the vulnerable to such an extent that they have stockpiled all of these riches and in the end, it will testify against them and testify of their sentence, which is hell forever. The classic example of the misery of the greedy rich uh, is found in Luke chapter 16. You can turn there. It's page 875 in the Red Bible, if you're in the Red Bible. But uh, Luke chapter 16, it's a story we read about the rich man and Lazarus. And it says in verse 19 of Luke 16, it says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with, with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. You know, there are a lot of people in the world, and I'm sometimes under this, where I just don't like the thought of hell. Uh, And so there's this temptation just to believe that hell does not exist. But here is the thing. If God is loving, if God is just, if God is going to punish the wicked, there has to be hell. There has to be hell for God to be just and for God to be loving. He has to punish that which is evil. You know, everybody says Hitler should be punished, Stalin should be punished, you know, pedophile should be punished. There is no punishment if all that we do is die and absorb away. There is no justice. And so here in this passage, James is reminding the believers that there is justice coming for those who have defrauded them give you a a, a story uh, trying to work in my Mother's Day type illustrations here. But but when I was in junior high, um, I used to get $2 a day for lunch. 
And I don't know what kids get today, but $1.50 of that would go towards lunch and 50 cents was so that I could get a bag of chips or something like that. And as a teenager, man, I was always hungry. And so, uh, so I, I was at lunch one day and, and an upperclassman named Tim came and said, hey, can I, can I borrow 50 cents? I forgot my lunch today. I forgot my lunch money and wondering if I could borrow 50 cents. I'm like, sure, here you go. He's going around collecting from different people. And so I gave him 50 cents uh, and then went without chips that day, which was okay. Uh, but, but the next day, and he said, you know, I'll pay you back tomorrow. So I come back to him tomorrow and say, hey, you got the 50 cents? Oh, no, I don't have it today, all right? Then I come back the next day, the next day, the next day. This goes on for like two weeks. He never pays me back, and I really want to eat more chips. And so, so finally, I tell my mom, I'm like, mom, I, I gave this guy some money, and he never paid me back. And then my mom made a phone call. <laughs> she made a phone call to Tim's mom. And guess who had 50 cents the very next day? I did, right? Um, if this is how a mom wants to take care of her son who's been defrauded 50 cents, which is just a silly example, I know it is, but how much more does a heavenly father want to care for his children who are oppressed, who are victimized by the greedy rich in the world? In this passage, God is putting the greedy rich on notice, as well as comforting the generous poor, that God hears the cries of the poor. God stands up for the forgotten, and the wicked will be punished. Listen, if you have been defrauded in this world by a boss, by a company, or by a con man, you can take this comfort that justice will come. You do not need to enact injustice. You don't need to stew on on enacting justice upon them. God will bring justice upon them. And so while the greedy rich may enjoy luxuries in this world at the expense of others, eternity is for real. And there is coming a day when those wicked men and women will be sentenced to hell where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the sentence of the greedy. The second thing we see here are the sins of the greedy. Again, uh, being rich is not a bad thing. Uh, Owning a company is not a bad thing. I think back to uh, the book of Ruth and Boaz and how he was a business owner and yet he was generous and a great kinsman redeemer pointing forward to Christ. And so that's not the issue. And so the question is, how do we know if we are greedy people? Um, How do we know if a business owner is a greedy person, right? And so one of the things that James is trying to do is help us to differentiate between a profession of saving faith and a possession of saving faith. And he does that here in this passage. So we see these signs and sins of greed. Verse four, he says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. In the time before John Deere tractors, uh, when it was harvest season, uh, they would go into town and they would gather some workers to come and help the family harvest the field. Uh, You see this again in in the book of Ruth. Jesus talks about this when they go out and hire hire workers in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. Um, This is what they would do. They would go and they would hire workers and they would come out. And it was the expectation that at the end of the day, 
the landowner would pay them. And the reason why it was so important for the landowner to pay them was because they needed the money to buy food, to feed their families. They were day-to-day dependent upon uh, the, the faithfulness of the landowner to pay them. And what is happening in this situation is because the rich and the powerful uh, are able to do it, they would pay them sometimes or they would get lax on paying them or sometimes they wouldn't pay them or they would pay them more than they promised them because they knew that they were vulnerable. They knew that, that the poor could do nothing about it. And since they were foreigners, it was easy for them to cheat them out of the money that they were owed. And as verse 5 tells us, they did it not because they didn't have the money, but because they wanted to live a life of self-indulgence and luxury. And what James assures his readers is that their cries, the cries of the afflicted, reached the Lord. Not only the Lord, but the Lord of hosts. This word host is talking about an army. And so that the Lord of angel armies is ready to come and to defend his people who are poor. Verse 5 continues. It says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fatted your hearts in a day of slaughter. And so like, like cattle who are just consuming and consuming and consuming and have no idea of what's coming next, he's saying you are like those cattle. As you consume wealth, as you consume wealth, as you consume wealth, you are only fattening yourself for the day of slaughter that is to come. And then verse 6, he says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And so if the hired people are dependent on the landowner to pay them so that they can buy food to feed their family, certainly in those situations, it would have lent itself to sickness and disease and death. And James is saying, listen, your wickedness, your greed has led to the death of others. There is blood on your hands. Again, we see this even in our own history. In St. Louis, there's this bridge called the Eads Bridge, and and 15 workers died in the building of that bridge. Uh, 77 were were severely afflicted. Um, There's horror stories that I won't tell you of what they did, but, but they just would continue on. Like people die, it's no big deal. If you, if you ever study the building of the Panama Canal, uh, 50 miles of trench, 5,600 people die. 4,500 of the people who died were West Indian workers. Only 350 who died were, were American Caucasians. And they did it so that they could get merchandise quicker to the other side of the world. The sins of the greedy are that they build and accumulate earthly wealth at the expense of others. This letter is written to those who are exploited and those who are exploiting the greedy. But it should also be an opportunity for us to examine greed in our own hearts. You know, it's been confirmed by by many different people that I have talked to that waiters and waitresses' least favorite time of the week to serve are on Sunday afternoons. Not because they want to observe the Sabbath and come to church, which would be great, uh, but because when church people go out to eat afterwards, they leave lousy tips. And I'm sure they justify it, saying, you know, I give here and I give there, but then we do not even give to those who are serving the tables around us like they should be given to I was confessing to my community group that, that, that when Trish and I were raising children, uh, that I often probably shortchanged our babysitters. Uh, I, I put together the numbers of we have to buy a meal, we have to pay a babysitter, it's so much. And so we would give them just the bare minimum that we could give to them. 
The point is this, is that greed is not just out there. Greed is in here. Uh, All of us struggle with greed to a certain extent. All of us deserve the sentence of the greedy, which is hell. And that's why this last point is so important. We have talked about the sentence of the greedy, the sins of the greedy, but hear the good news of the salvation of the greedy. Up to this point, James has talked about the poor and exploited in in plural terms. Uh, He has said the laborers, harvesters, the cries, the wages, all of this is plural. But then in verse six, he switches to the singular. It's very interesting. Look with me. He says in verse six, you talking about the greedy have condemned and murdered the righteous person, singular, and that he, singular, does not resist you. Again, James does not say you have murdered the righteous people, but the righteous person. Now, this singular use is probably used to describe all righteous persons, but it's hard to not think of the righteous person, Jesus Christ. It was Jesus, the righteous one, who was betrayed because of the greed of Judas. For 30 pieces of silver, Jesus was handed over to the religious leaders. For 30 pieces of silver, Jesus was condemned to death on a cross. For 30 pieces of silver, Jesus was led to Golgotha to be murdered, even though he was righteous. Yes, it was the greed of Judas for money that led to Jesus' crucifixion. But it was also the greed of the religious leaders for power and fame, and the greed of Pilate for political peace. Greed of all sorts led to Christ's death. And Jesus did not resist. Jesus did not defend himself in the court of law. Jesus did not call down 12 legions of angels. Jesus did not run away. And the reason he did not defend himself is because it was not only the greed of Judas and the religious leaders and Roman rulers that led to his death. It was your greed and my greed as well. It was for our greed that Jesus went to the cross. And the least greedy act in human history, Jesus, the righteous one, without resistance, took on our sins of greed. At the cross, he endured the sentence of our greed, which is the pains of hell for all eternity. And he did this not only to relieve us from the penalty of greed, but also from the power of greed. Jesus' generous salvation transforms our greed into hearts of generosity. You may be familiar with the the story about Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, a wee check chief tax collector. And chief tax, tax collectors of that time were, were really some of the most awful people in the world. Uh, everyone hated tax collectors because they were so greedy and they would exploit the poor. And so they would come to gain, get, get taxes for Rome, but they would also take additional money on top of that, exploiting the poor so they wouldn't have enough money to eat. And yet what we see in Luke chapter 19 is Zacchaeus was was not only greedy for money, but he, by the grace of God, became greedy for a savior. And so he ran up a tree to see Jesus and Jesus calls him by name and Jesus says, I must go and be in your house today. And so Jesus goes and and visits with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is so transformed by that encounter that we read this. It says, 
And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have defrauded, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And so he's so transformed by the generosity of Christ that he says, I will give half of everything I have away to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone, I will pay them back fourfold for it. And then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Yes, that includes the greedy. One of the main emphasis, as we said, of the book of James is help us distinguish between a profession of faith and a possession of faith. And James 5 and Zacchaeus remind us that one of the evidences that we possess saving faith and not just profess saving faith is that we are overwhelmed by the generosity of God towards us and it leads us to be generous towards others more and more throughout our life. Jesus came not only to save the greedy from the sentence of greed, but also from the power of greed that we might live enjoying the blessings of God, but using them to bless those whom God has put in our world. Let me end with this. Um, A teacher was asking a boy a question. She said, suppose your mother baked a pie and there are seven of you, okay? Five kids and, and the two parents. Suppose there are seven of you. Your mom bakes a pie. What, what fraction of that pie will you get? And the boy said, a sixth. I'll get a sixth of the pie. And the teacher repeated the question. No, no, listen closely, okay? Your mom bakes a pie and, and there are seven of you, five children and two adults. What fraction of that pie are you going to get? And he says, I will get a sixth of the pie. And she said to him, she says, you know, son, I, I'm sorry, but I, I think you just don't know fractions. And he said, uh, teacher, I'm sorry, you just don't know my mom. <laughs> said, said, maybe there's seven of us, but my mom will say, I don't want any pie. So I will get a sixth of the pie. You know, when it comes to Mother's Day, uh, moms are some of the most generous people in our world. They emulate generosity towards their children. But Christ calls us to an even greater generosity, to not just be generous towards our children and to our family, but to be generous towards employees, towards the poor, towards the strangers, even towards our enemies. Because it was when we were enemies of God that he was generous to us to give us his son, to give us life, and to give us salvation. Christian, as long as you live, you will experience the effects of corporate greed from wicked humans. But always remember that you are forever the recipient of God's corporate generosity to his church who has purchased her to himself, that he can pour out the riches of salvation upon her and upon you for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for your generosity towards us in Christ. God, pray that that generosity would spur us to be generous towards others, especially to those who don't deserve it, Lord. God, we are so thankful that you will bring justice, Lord, towards the wicked in this world, Lord. You will not let them escape, but that they will, that they will endure the sentence for their sin, Lord, and that justice will be had unless, of course, they surrender to Jesus and 
offered that sentence to him to pay for on their behalf, Lord. God, we pray that as we come to your table now, that you will remind us through, through sight and through touch and through taste of your generosity to us in Christ. And it might spur us to be generous towards others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.